Well, about a decade ago, uh, my wife and I were doing college ministry at the University of Texas at San Antonio. And every year at the beginning of the semester, we would have a booth set up during the student orientation. And along with our booth, which invited students to participate in Bible studies and some of our large group events and other things that we were doing, across from us was a table for the Atheist Agenda. The Atheist Agenda was started by students who wanted to promote and promulgate an atheistic or agnostic worldview. And uh, they made the national news about 10 years ago because they had a campaign, a very interesting campaign called the Smut for Smut campaign. And they believed the Bible was full of myths and lies and stories. And it did more to damage people than to really help people. So if you brought them a Bible to their table that they had, they'd give you an adult magazine. So they called it their Smut for Smut campaign. And it made the national news. And so I remember on one semester we were there and they were really literally across from us. And so during a break when the students in orientation, I went to one of them and I just began talking with one of the atheists there. And he gave me a pamphlet on this table full of pamphlets. And one of the pamphlets was uh, all the contradictions of the Bible. And what they were arguing for was the Bible is full of contradictions. It says one thing in one place is something totally contradictory in another. And because of that, you cannot trust the Bible. So I took the pamphlet home, began to read through it and compare scriptures they were giving. And by all accounts, yes, it does seem like the Bible is full of contradictions. Because the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, that we as Christians are not to judge outsiders. But we're supposed to judge the insiders, other Christians. We're not supposed to judge non-Christians. He says that's God's job. But us as believers, we're supposed to judge one another. Hold one another accountable. He says that in uh, 1 Corinthians 5.12. The Apostle John says in 1 John 4.1 that we're supposed to test the spirits. So whenever there's someone who's a prophet or claims to be a prophet and he shares something, that we should judge or have discernment or test them. He says that. Even Jesus himself says in uh, Matthew 5, 7, verses 15 through 20, talking about false teachers, and Ryan Vinzant, our youth pastor, will be preaching on that in a couple weeks. He says that we're supposed to examine their fruits and discern their works, their good works. He says we're supposed to judge them. But then what Jesus says in the passage, I believe the most taken out of context verse in the Bible, Matthew 7, 1, we've all heard it, judge not lest you be judged. So it sounds like Apostle Paul, judge other believers. Apostle John, judge prophets and teachers. And then even Jesus says, hey, judge the works of these prophets and teachers. And now all of a sudden Jesus, the same Jesus says what we've probably all heard before, judge not lest you be judged. And it sounds like a contradiction, amen? What I want to look at today is, is it a contradiction? And if it's not a contradiction and we are supposed to judge, how are we supposed to judge? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7 with me. And we will find that it is not a contradiction, that if you look at stuff in context, and like I've said many times before, if you take a verse out of context, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. And if you take verses out of context, it makes it sound like verses are, not, are saying something contradictory against one another. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, says this, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard measure, it will be measured to you. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Let's go back to verse 1. Verse 1, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And often people say that one verse, but they don't look at the context. So here's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus has been doing works and sharing his word and the Pharisees were notorious for judging. And what they would do is they would judge self-righteously and judge in order to condemn people. They would judge self-righteously by their own standards and judge people to condemn. And then what they were doing was they were condemning Jesus. They looked at his works, they heard his words, and they condemned his ministry. And that's what Jesus is condemning. He's saying that we should not judge self-righteously, self-righteously and also with the attitude to condemn. And here's the thing. We've evolved. This is like 2,000 years ago. And nowadays, we would never, ever, ever take a snippet of somebody's soundbite or a little bit of their actions and see what they've done and then cancel them completely. We would never do that. But that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were the originators, I would say, of cancel culture. They were canceling people based on very limited information, again, with this desire to condemn and say that they were better than them. And here's point number one. So based on that, what Jesus is saying is do not judge self-righteously. Do not judge self-righteously. And it's a command. That word uh, judge or do not judge is a second person plural imperative, which means it's a command. And what he's saying is not never judge, because again, Paul said it, John said it, Jesus even said it. Jesus is going to say it in John 7, 24, which we'll uh, briefly touch on. He says that we should judge as believers, and we judge every day. We're created to be discerning creatures. We judge and evaluate things every day. Before we go to a restaurant, we judge it and evaluate it. He's not saying don't ever judge, but he's saying do not judge self-righteously. And he says this in verse 2, for in the way you judge, you'll be judged, and by your standard measure, it will be measured to you. So what he's saying is um, the very same standard that you use to judge others. If you're using your own self-righteousness and your standard for judging others, you're just looking at what they do externally, God is going to one day hold you to judge, or judge you by that same standard as well. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be judged by that same standard. I want to ju be judged with mercy and grace. Amen? So he says this, for in the way you judge, and it's the word judge used three times. The way you judge, we judge. It's judge, judge, judge. And the word there, way, is the Greek word krima, from which we get the English word coffee krima. I'm kidding, y'all. We get the English word criticism or critique. It's the prefix kri. So he says, the way that you judge other people, judge their parenting style, judge their marriage, judge how they spend their money, judge the Bible they carry, judge who they voted for. The way you judge others is the same way that God is going to judge you. He's going to critique you based on that same thing. The word measure there is metron, from which again this word metric. He says, by your standard of rule, what you measure others by, God is going to measure you by. If you judge people with no mercy, God is going to judge you with no mercy. If you judge people with no grace and love, God is going to do the exact same thing. So he says, you better be careful how you judge people, the way you judge people, because one day you'll be judged by the same matter. And I'm not saying the eternal judgment. If you've trusted Christ, you will go to heaven. But one day we'll have the Bema seat, which will stand before Jesus and give an account for all the deeds, all the words we've done, whether good or bad. And you and I, hopefully, would want to be judged with mercy. Amen? So he says that we will be judged by our standard. And he says this illustration, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck that is in your, own, in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? 
So he's saying is this. He says to the Pharisees and to us, he says, when you judge self-righteously, when you judge unmercifully and you judge to condemn, he says, be careful because you may notice the sawdust that's in your brother's eye. You may see how they parent or their marriage or they do lead a community group. You may say this about the elders or this pastor. You may see those things, but be aware. You may be blinded by your own sin. Um, and we may leap to conclusions. So this is what we need to pray, is we need to pray that God will allow us to see clearly. And we're going to look at that here in a second, what that looks like. Because often again, if you've got a baseball bat in your eye, if you've got a plank, the Greek word is like a beam, like these beams that hold us the building. You've got a beam made out of the same wood that's that speck in the brother or sister's eye. And he says, you judge self-righteously. That is what Jesus is saying for us not to do. But again, if we're honest, we all tend to do that. We all tend to be our own standard. We all tend to be the judge, jury, and executioner if we're honest with ourselves. And this is what Jesus is saying for us not to do. Many years ago, um, I was going to meet a student, a fellow student at Dow Seminary in the student center. He had missed class, and so he wanted to get a recap of the lecture and get the notes. So I said, hey, meet me at 3 o'clock in the student center. So I get there about 2.50, 2.45, and I'm there waiting. 3 o'clock comes, 3.05 comes, 3.15 comes, 3.30 comes. He doesn't show up. And one of my pet peeves is when people waste my time. And so I've already leaped to judgment. I've said, man, this guy doesn't love me, doesn't care for me. He's wasting my time, right? I've taken all the time and effort to compile these notes, to give it to him and share with him, taking 30 minutes, an hour out of my day to meet with him. And yet this guy doesn't care about me. And I've already jumped and I said, the next time I see this guy, man, I'm going to get peace in my mind because, man, he has not honored me, right? Have y'all done that before? And so I'm ready to just jump all over him. Next time I see him, I'm leaving the student center just upset, angry at this guy. And then my spiritual formation director, who's based our community groups director, uh, Martin Tokunaga, who's over at Dallas Seminary, Martin sees me and he says to me, hey, Icky, uh, we missed you at our 12 o'clock lunch today. Oh, golly, I forgot. I was so busy, I forgot, right? He's like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, don't worry about it. I forgive you, whatever. And I'm like, oh, ugh. haven't we all done that before? And I'm like asking Martin, grace and mercy, forgive me, please. And here I am judging this other student, this other brother in Christ, who maybe got busy, maybe got caught up with a need at uh, emergency at home or family emergency or was talking to a professor. And yet... I missed the log that was my own eye. I was so quick to point out the speck in this guy's eye. So again, pray that God would help, to see, help you to see clearly. And this is what he tells us in verse 5. He says, if you judge with that baseball bat in your eye, he says, you're a hypocrite. Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And that word, take the speck out of your brother's eye, is synonymous, that phrase with judgment. So again, even Jesus here is saying, it's all right to judge somebody. It's all right to judge your brother or sister in Christ. It's all right to do that. But he says, first, take that baseball bat, that Louisville slugger, out of your eye before you talk to that brother or sister in Christ. So here's point number two. Instead, judge yourself regularly and righteously before judging others righteously. Allow the ultimate judge, God himself, to search your heart, to examine you. Psalm 51, Lord, search my heart. Holy Spirit, examine my heart. Examine my motives. And then when God shows you you, when you pray, Lord, show me me, and God shows you you, and he shows you that log in your eye, you repent. You change your mind. 
and you confess and say, God, would you forgive me for that? I know I've already received forgiveness in Christ, but I'm confessing it to you. I agree that it is sin. I repent of it. And when you do that, that log can be removed so you can see clear. And I, I would say this, we, were, we are never able to see totally and perfectly clear because we're always tainted and marred by our fallenness, but it will allow you to see clearer what other people are going through. So allow God to search your life, the judge to search your life. Um, James says it this way, the word of God is a mirror. The word of God is a mirror. And what the Word of God does, when you get in the Bible on a regular basis, the Holy Spirit illumines. He opens your eyes to the truth of God's Word. And it's a mirror that not only teaches you and helps you to grow, be conformed to the image of Christ, but it also shows you your shortcomings and faults and sins so that you can repent and confess those things. But here's the great tragedy in America is that, um, imagine this. If imagine November is not no-shave November. Imagine if we declared at Bayou City Fellowship that November is no mirror November. Right? And from this day forward to the end of November, you cannot look in a mirror at all. Right? Can you imagine living your life not being able to look in a mirror at all? So you literally wake up, get dressed, go to work, go to church, go to school, not knowing even how you look, not knowing to do your hair, makeup, any of those things, not knowing all those things. Can you imagine life like that? You can't, can you? We can't go a day without looking in the mirror. But you know what's sad? Is so many Christians go days, months, weeks without ever getting into the Word of God. And the Word of God is that mirror that shows us us. God uses it to show us ourselves. God shows us ourselves even in community as well. That's why Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that marriage is steroids for sanctification. Because you know what? Your worst traits... You can see because your wife or your husband becomes a mirror that you get to see yourself. How many singles want to get married still now? Anybody singles get married, right? It gets even worse with kids. Man, you see just how selfish you are when you have kids. And you repent and confess those things. There was a um, LASIK eye surgeon in Dallas. I used to hear this commercial all the time. And he'd talk about all the benefits of LASIK eye surgery. No contacts, no glasses. See clearly, go swimming, go to the beach, do all the stuff you enjoy, activity, not worry about stuff anymore. And he would talk about all the benefits of LASIK. But you know what he'd always end the commercial with? He'd always say, not only do I offer LASIK, I've also had LASIK done on myself. Not only do I offer it to other people so that they can see better, I've had it done on myself so now I can see better. Because you know what? None of us in here would ever go to a blind optometrist. We would not go to a blind ophthalmologist. We want to make sure that our optometrists or opth ophthalmologists can see clearly so that they can help us see clearly. Amen? And that's what this guy is saying. He simply says, the LASIK guy is saying, you know what? I want to help you see better because I can see better. I've experienced it myself. I've done it first to myself. Uh, Ephesians 4, 15 and 25 Ephesians 4, 15 and 25 says the same thing twice. He says, speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up into all aspects into him. Then he says in verse 25, speak the truth in love with one another, quit deceiving one another. So he says, in the body of Christ, and Ephesians 4 is going to be our foundation for our family reunion tonight. In the body of Christ, if we're going to grow, we need to speak truth to one another. And the motive has to be love. The motive has to be love. And so again, you get in God's word. You're in community. God shows you you. You repent. You confess. That beam is removed. That baseball bat is removed. Now you can see clearly around you the other people in your community group, the other Christians in your life. And now you can lovingly, graciously, mercifully, and righteously judge them, help them. 
Not to condemn them. That's what he's condemning in verse 1. When we judge censoriously or judge self-righteously to condemn somebody. But we judge one another, not for the purpose of condemnation, but for the purpose of sanctification, to help one another grow. But here's the, the caution here at the very end. He says in verse 6, Do not give what is holy to dogs. Don't give what's set apart to dogs. And do not throw your pearls, what's valuable before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So here's point number three is, be careful who you judge righteously. Be wise in who you judge righteously. Be wise. Now that you can see clearly, the judge, God himself, has dealt with you. He says, now that you can see clearly, and you're trying to help a brother or sister in Christ, Help them with their parenting. Help them. I notice you always snap at your wife. Help them with their marriage. Help them with their kids. Help them grow. Help them in their prayerlessness. Help them in whatever area it may be, in their giving and how they spend them, whatever it may be. He says you've got to be wise. Because the, what, the, what he's saying here is in Jewish culture, dogs and swine were like seen as a negative thing. Swine were unclean animals. And so what he's saying is you can give what's holy, set apart, valuable, the dogs are going to waste it. You can give it to uh, pearls. And the word there for pearls, interesting word, is the Greek word margarites. And I wonder, is that where you get the word margarita from? It's not. <laughs> he says, you can give what's valuable, gold, silver, and to, to swine, and they're going to trample and waste it. And he says, as a matter of fact, they may turn and even attack you. And so what he's saying is this. He says, you may have this insight, this wisdom from God that you want to share with somebody, but not everybody wants to hear it. And be careful because they may now turn and attack you. They may, if you have a message from the word of God, they may now shoot the messenger. So you've got to be wise about that. You've got to be wise about that. You've got to pick your battles. You've got to pick your battles. Proverbs 17.12. Proverbs 17.12, I put on Facebook this morning as my verse of the day, which says this, it, it may be safer. It may be safer for you to confront, be in the presence of a mama bear who's just lost her cubs than confronting a fool in his folly. What a picture, right? You may be out hunting in the middle of the forest or whatever, and there's a mama bear who's angry because he's just lost her cubs, her babies, who she loves and cares for. Dangerous situation. And he says, you know what's crazier? He says, you may catch a fool in their folly and confront them biblically with truth in a loving way and that can be even more dangerous. So here's what we need to do. As God shows us us, and we're in community, we need to pray and say, God, would you give me wisdom? Wisdom in both the delivery, the timing, and even if I should, talk to his brother or sister in Christ. And then Proverbs eleven seventeen says, or eleven fourteen, Proverbs eleven fourteen, that there's wisdom and abundance of counselors. And, and the writer of Proverbs repeats that three times. There's abundance of wisdom and counselors. Without gossiping and going in a gossipy way to talk to brothers and sisters that you trust and say, you know what? I always notice that this guy, he snaps at his wife and says very derogatory things to her. What do you think? Should I go to him in a loving way and talk to him about it? And they may say, no, because that guy's been doing it and other people have talked to him already and he just doesn't care. He's going to unfriend you, block you, whatever, and cut you off. And so exercise wisdom in that. 
Uh, many years ago, we had a leader in our church uh, who a lot of people knew he was just not doing right. And I won't give you the details, just was not doing right. And so I talked to these other leaders and members. I'm like, have you talked to them? And they're like, kind of, yeah, vague generalities. And I'm not specifically, biblically about this particular situation. They said, we have not. And so I said, okay. So I prayed. I said, Lord, what would you have me to do? I need your wisdom on this. I went to our elders and I said, hey, this guy's a leader in our church. What should I do? And they said, yeah, it'd be good for you to lovingly talk to him. So I called this guy to my office and I said, hey, brother, such and such, this, this, and this. And he repented. He's like, you're right. And he said, this is what I'm thankful for. And I said, what? He said, I was getting ready to leave this church. And I said, leave this church? Why? He's because all these people knew I was doing this. And yet no one ever said anything to me. And I thought, you know what? This church does not take the Bible or sin seriously. And I'm glad that you were able to lovingly and graciously and mercifully confront me on this and get me to say, you know what? I need to repent. I confess it. It's wrong. Now stop doing it. He said, I was going to leave this church. And so I'm glad that this guy was wise enough, humble enough, receptive enough, sensitive to the spirit enough where we hear that. But not everyone's like that, y'all. So pick your battles carefully. Here's a big idea for today. I'll give you a couple applications. Judge yourself correctly before judging others carefully. Judge yourself correctly before judging others carefully. Again, Jesus is not condemning judging. Paul said it. John said it. Jesus said it. Take the speck, the log out of your own eye, and then judge other people. He says, do it. But judge yourself correctly before judge, uh, judging others carefully. Here's four little application things that we can take. One of them is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Because often this is what we do, is we look at people's actions, what they do, and we leap to conclusions and judgments about why they did it. So make sure that you're judging not just what you hear and what you see, but don't jump to why they did it. So what does the Bible say about their actions and their words, about their teaching? Number two, am I seeing clearly? Am I seeing clearly? Am I seeing clearly? Have I stood before the judge? Has the Holy Spirit examined my heart? Have I gotten into God's word, the mirror? Am I seeing clearly? And then number three, and this is a powerful thing to, to do in any situation. What would I want done if I were in their shoes and the roles were reversed? If I was the one, and I'm sure I've got faults and foibles and sin and blind spots, I know I do. And if people saw that in me and they were to lovingly confront me, lovingly meet with me, how would I want it done? So, number three again, what would I want done if I were in their shoes and the roles were reversed? What would I want done? And number four, knowing what I know, can I make a righteous judgment or do, do I need more information? Knowing what I know, can I make a righteous judgment or do I need more information? Because here's the thing that often happens. We hear about what other people have done or said or the motives through hearsay and rumors and gossip. Right? And we've never even talked to that actual person and seen that other person do that. So do I need more information? And is there a trust level? Because that's, that's the currency of that is trust. Does this person trust me? Do I trust them? Knowing what I know, can I make a righteous assessment or do I need more information? We've all heard this cliche in this story, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, and that's true. I've read many great books with horrible covers and I've read many horrible books with great covers. But we've all done it. How many of y'all have ever made a judgment about somebody and you were totally off? Just totally off about somebody. The other four of y'all are lying because I know we've all done it, right? 
Chuck Swindoll tells this story. He was invited to speak at a marriage conference. And Chuck Swindoll was president of Dallas Seminary. He's a pastor. He's a radio Bible teacher as well. He was asked to speak at a marriage conference. And he got up to speak. And he said, down, come, uh, down the aisle comes a couple, husband and wife, and they sit in the very front row. The moment he opens his Bible to begin teaching and preaching, the husband crosses his arms and he falls asleep. And he's like, man, talk about a slap in the face. Sit in the front row, you fall asleep in my face. And then Chuck Swindoll ran to judge me. He said, I know what's going on here. This marriage is on the rocks. They're on the brink of divorce. And this husband has been dragged to this conference by his wife. He doesn't want to be here. And because of that, in protest, he's just falling asleep in my face. That's what's going on. The next session, that next morning, or whatever it was, he says, same thing, the same couple, sitting front row. He's opening his Bible, about to teach and preach on marriage. From the Bible, that same man falls right asleep. And he's like, I knew it, I knew it. This guy is in protest. He does not want to be here. His wife is desperately clinging and holding on to this marriage. And he's already said, I'm done. I don't want to be here. That next session, the last evening session, he says, same thing, couple sitting in the front row. Moment he opens the Bible, begins to declare the word of God, the guy falls asleep. He said, man, what a slap in the face. But again, he said, I know what's going on here. Desperate marriage, holding on, husband is protesting, doesn't want to be here. That next morning, there's a, a time in which all the people can like line up and just thank Pastor Swindoll. And so they're all lined up, taking pictures with him and just, you know, asking him to pray for him and stuff. And Chuck Swindoll says at the very end of the line, he sees this couple. And the, the wife is dragging the husband. And he said, I knew it. The husband's, the wife is going to fall to her knees and say, Pastor Swindoll, our marriage is on the rocks. It's over. But if you pray for us, please, we're desperate. We need God to intervene. And the husband doesn't want to be here. And that's why the wife is just dragging him along. Finally, the couple gets to the front of the line. And Pastor Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll is just ready. He's ready to just give it to him. He knows what's going on. He's ready to just chew the guy out. And the wife says, Pastor Swindoll, we're so glad that you came. We're so thankful that you're here. And she said, um, my husband and I are here because we just want to hear you live. And my husband, he really didn't want to come up. He didn't want to waste your time and all that. But he's here because he's dying of cancer. He's got terminal cancer. And he said to me, honey, I want to go see Chuck Swindoll preach live at least one time before I die. And that's why he's here today. And he really didn't want to waste your time but he's here today. So if you just pray for his cancer and all that, it's terminal. And then she said, and would you forgive him? He's taking really strong painkillers and drugs that makes him really drowsy. And so if he was falling asleep during your teaching time, it wasn't because he was bored or not interested. It was just the medicine. And at this, Chuck Swindoll's like, ugh, ugh, right? Man, stab a knife in my heart. Because he didn't have the full picture. He wasn't judging with mercy and grace. He thought, I've seen this a thousand times before. Not knowing that this man was dying of cancer and just wanted to hear his favorite Bible teacher in person one time. And again, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have judged self-righteously. We can't condemn Chuck Swindoll because we've all done that. So again, what Jesus is saying here today, he's not saying don't ever judge, never, never, never. He's saying, first, allow God the judge to judge you, to examine you, for his word, his community to examine you. And then once you can see clearly, then in a loving and gracious and merciful way, 
to now judge others and help others. Not for the sake of to condemn them, but to help them grow, to sanctify them. Let's pray. God, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us in here have at times judged others' parenting, their marriage, their singleness, their uh, political affiliation, how they voted, their family background. We've judged motives even though you're the only one God who can see people's hearts and motives. And we judge all those things in a very self-righteous way. Lacking mercy, lacking love, lacking grace, lacking truth. God, I do pray for this church, for Bayou City Fellowship, that like Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and truth, God, would you make this church, this local body, full of grace and truth. God, we would be humble people who are dependent on you totally for our righteousness, not self-righteous people. And God, when we do judge, God, would it be after you, our great judge, our great king, has examined our hearts, our motives, our actions, and our words. And after we have repented and confessed those things, claiming forgiveness because of the finished work of Christ, God, will we be able to see clearer to help our brothers and sisters in Christ? Because God, we all have blind spots. We all have faults, failures, and foibles. And we all sin. God, one day we desire to stand before Christ at the Bema seat who will judge all of our actions, all of our motives, everything we've done, whether good or bad, all our words, all our attitudes. God, we're going to be judged by a perfect, sinless Savior and King. In Him there is no darkness, no, none at all. So God, all we can do at that point is fall to our knees and plead for mercy. God, we know it's not a heaven or hell thing. We know that if we've placed our faith in Christ, heaven is assured. But this is about rewards and inheritance. And God, all we can do is fall to our knees. So God, I pray that we would be judged with mercy because we've judged others with mercy, God. And God, I pray for those here today who've yet to put their faith in Christ. God, they will stand before you one day, a perfect God, sinless God. And God, your word tells us, before Christ, we already stand condemned. We already stand judged. But today would be the day they place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So they can receive forgiveness. They can receive a reconciled, restored relationship with you. That today would be that day, God. And they can be part of the body of Christ, the family of God. We ask that today.
Uh, we're putting our prayer team together, but heads bowed, eyes closed. Again, if you just can be honest enough and you say, you know what, God is, the Spirit's just convicting me, revealing to me that, yes, I, I do judge self-righteously. And you just need special prayer. Just right where you are, just stand. You know how we do here by UC Fellowship. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Can I pray for those who are standing right now? Would your grace be sufficient for them? I pray that your spirit would fill them. Your word tells us, do not be drunk with wine, but be continually and perpetually filled with the Holy Spirit, that that would be so. God, that they would not walk a life of just constant guilt and burden and shame, but God would sense Holy Spirit conviction. And because they've repented and confessed, and because they know they're forgiven for every sin, past, present, and future, that they would continue to walk in victory and see clearly, God. Yeah, would you do that for them? Do that for me, Lord, please. I need it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you all for standing.